Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Listen Saturday. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, being with me today. And I hope your week's going great. And it's Friday and we've had a great hour with Bill Mast and Brian DeVries from Search. And they're hosting John Stone Street. How cool is that? If you're in the Twin Cities, I know I'm going to be there. It's going to be good. And now this hour, we're going to talk to my friend um, Mike Hurley. He uh, spent 25 years with the CIA and he led some personnel um, in uh, Afghanistan for 18 months hunting down Osama bin Laden. And he's going to talk to me about uh, the current demise of the Syrian ISIS leader, Baghdadi, and the way that went down. And he's a smart guy, and I always like talking to him. And Jonathan Kahn's going to be with me in the second uh, part of this hour. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and he is author of this most recent book called Oracle. Perhaps you've seen him on TV. I think he's been considered uh, in the last 40 years one of the uh, eight most influential evangelicals, and he's uh, Jewish. So how cool is that? Take a little 60-second break and bring on Mike Hurley. We love hearing from Faith Radio listeners. It's easy to get in touch with us through the Faith Line. When you call 877-933-2484, listen to the greeting, and then press the number 1. Then leave a message for a show host or general manager, Neil Stavum. You can also ask a question about upcoming events, and the event coordinator will contact you. Or, if you'd like information on a specific program, you can inquire about that as well, and the producer of that show or another staff person will get back to you. Another way to access program information is through MyFaithRadio.com. Look under the Programs tab for specific show information, including recent guests and topics. Again, the number for the Faith Line is 877-933-2484. That's 877-933-2484 or 877-93-FAITH. Give us a call anytime and leave a message to stay connected to Faith Radio. Michael Hurley is the president of Team 3i. He's a national security and international business strategy. Uh, that's what his company does. He has uh, got quite a resume on counterterrorism. Uh, probably one of the things that stand out is he led the agency personnel and U.S. Special Forces in Operation Anaconda. That was the biggest campaign of the Afghan conflict. And in that uh, role, Mike was leader in the hunt for Osama bin Laden. So when Baghdadi uh, took his last breath on Saturday, I thought, hmm, I should call Mike and find out what his thoughts are on that and how the, ex- the execution uh, of all of that went down. And from a military standpoint and from uh, a media standpoint, I'd just be loving to get your, uh, your take on that. Mike, w- welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a bad guy. Oh, I think he's uh, he's definitely one of the worst. He was, of course, on the, on the top of the most wanted list. Um, for all kinds of reasons, but as as the leader of of ISIS, um, he's just deplorable. And um, their tactics and what they did to Westerners and and uh, journalists and other Westerners and and 
people that in the lands that ISIS conquered in Iraq and Syria were uh, were extremely brutal, and um, and so um, I was quite happy with his demise. And I know that finding him and finding the other leadership of ISIS has been a, a very high priority of the United States government. I mean, this this guy was uh, more barbaric than than even uh, bin Laden, right? Well, uh, yeah, it's hard to compare the yeah. two. Uh, they were both both really, really, uh, really terrible. Um, bin Laden, of course, masterminded and financed the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, and you know, three thousand Americans um, were, were were killed on September 11, two thousand one. Um, Baghdadi uh, just just brutal, brutal tactics. Um, just didn't value human life at all. Um, it seemed like, and um, and, and really, I think a, a, an enemy of, of free people everywhere. So, yeah, he was he was certainly at the top of the list of, of bad people in the world. Yeah, when when the forces were pursuing him, what kind of strategy would a guy like him at his high uh, level of profile would he be uh, living in a new safe house or sleeping in a new safe house every night or every other night or how fast and and. Uh, how fast does this guy move around? Well, the government will probably piece together that story, but um, but uh, you're on to, to the right point, which is they they uh, wanted people like that do have to move their um, their locations fairly frequently. I don't know if it was every night or not. Mm-hmm. Probably fairly frequently. The other, uh, they develop a kind of paranoia, um, and uh, because. Um, because when they're sort of in the gun sites of of you know all the intelligence, the Western intelligence agencies for sure, and our militaries, um, they get to a point where they really can't trust anyone, um, and except maybe maybe their closest you know members of their clan or their their, their closest people. So there is that kind of paranoia. He would have been moving a lot. Um, I think that. ISIS and before ISIS, Al-Qaeda had learned the lesson to stay off telecommunications, to stay off mobile phones, um, because those are fairly easily tracked. Um, In the early days of Afghanistan, I remember um, after the 9-11 attacks, when some of the CIA teams went into Afghanistan, we were able to to locate a number of um, kind of top targets by by virtue of they hadn't gotten off their mobile phones yet. And... um, we were able to literally put, you know, small missiles in on them as they stood speaking on their phones. It was it was that quick um, in some instances. But they learned those lessons, and Baghdadi certainly learned those lessons. Um, what I've read about him is that um, he handled all his communications through personal messengers. Um, he would have trusted that a lot more than electronics, for example. Um, and so changing his locations, um, taking a whole series of steps to – um, to, to, to really hide himself. Um, and um, but I think, and one of the really sort of positive aspects of this, in my mind, and I think we saw the same thing after um, bin Laden was killed, um, is just this notion that the United States, and th- this is carried, out, carried over Bill from administration to administration, but that, that the United States will be relentless irrespective of which administration is in power, but the the United States will be relentless in tracking down and bringing to justice the people like Baghdadi, bin Laden before him, who have caused, um, you know, such such terror and death and destruction. Um, I I think there's um, there is a real need to bring them to justice. And so um, 
it was good development in my mind. Mm -hmm. Mike, I know uh, ISIS is a powerful organization. I don't know how powerful it is. I know they don't they already have a new leader in place. Yeah, they, the organization named someone to, I guess, succeed um, Baghdadi just today or yesterday, I think. Um, and um, I'm sure that our intelligence agencies have a pretty good dossier on whoever that is. Um, and, and, and they'll certainly be trying to track that, that person down. We did deal some very, very strong blows to ISIS. Remember, it was just a year or so ago, a little more than a year ago, when ISIS had, uh, maybe two years ago, had territory inside Iraq and Syria that was about the size of Great Britain. Um, they called it their caliphate, that their, their sort of kingdom, Baghdadi, was the head of it. Um, and the importance of that, that was that they had territory under their control in which to oppress people, but also to collect taxes and revenues um, mm. to finance their operations. When you have land like that, when you can go in and tax people, um, mostly out of fear and subjugation, you have the money then that allows you to sort of do things. But the United States military with our allies, um, with a lot of help from, uh, from the Kurds and, and others, um, took, took that territory away from them. Um, and a lot of ISIS dispersed. A lot of them were in prison camps um, and, uh, in, in Syria, um, one of the problems with that bill, though, is in those camps, they become really hotbeds of radicalization. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, you don't end up re- rehabilitating those people. Right. Um, so if they get out or they, they, they escape or something, um, I think one of the problems is uh, they won't be operating in big you know, units of 50, 100 people, but there'll be these small cells. And I think one of the concerns is if some of those small cells of two or three or four individuals, even one, um, for example, heads back to Europe. Uh, and remember, some of them were foreign fighters to begin with. They came from European states. A small number came from the United States. I think the FBI always sort of had in mind a figure of 100 or 200 at the most had gone over there to fight and join, you know, on fighting under the ISIS banner, under the ISIS flag. And um but, you know, the concern is always, so where do they go if they get away and and with the skills that they've learned on the battlefield, like creating improvised explosive devices and things like that, that that's a concern. So, um, yeah, we did we did take away that territory. And and, and I think it's fair to say um, they were set back, you know, um, very, very severely. Uh, but as many have pointed out recently in the in the aftermath of Baghdadi's death it's it's not just one terrorist or one leader um, it's an ideology and ISIS or some follow-on organization bill or I always think of the from the mythology the the hydra-headed monster you mm-hmm. know the hydra you, you cut off one head and you know 10 more grow out of that same thing and and that's sort of what we we seem to be facing in terms of terrorism. Yeah. Mike I I heard or read that no uh soldiers uh, died in that raid and also I'm just curious I don't know if this is information you can share with listeners but how do you trace a guy and hunt him down? I mean do you get get informants on the ground do you get people that are willing to talk for money? How does that work? Yeah, so very good and I and I, I I don't have inside information on on this particular operation, but maybe some ideas about how it's been done in the past. And and I think it's important for your listeners to know, Bill, that that we've 
our military really is the best in the world. And these special units that we have, they're often um, they comprise um, Green Berets, for example, but also Delta Force, which is our elite hostage rescue team, uh, Navy SEAL teams, for example. Um, and they've honed a lot of skills for um, for going out and finding um, finding terrorists um, during the days in Iraq. Um, and, and, and all that skill kind of gets refined and honed. And they're very, very good at this. Um, I'm guessing here, but I think it's it's an educated guess to say that they had um, uh, certain uh, surveillance. Um, we have drones flying all over the place in that part of the world, so you can get video. Um, but I think uh, my best guess is that there, there was a, some human source or an agent um, that would have been maybe an, a, an Iraqi um, or somebody that was that was part of Baghdadi's entourage um, and I'm guessing that that person, in addition to, you know, these sort of electronic sources of, of surveillance and things like that, um, one of the things that's really hard to beat is if you have human intelligence where somebody can positively say uh, because they've seen Baghdadi and mm -hmm. sort of say, okay, here's this guy, this is where he is, and then they can provide the critical information. You mentioned that Noah American soldiers who participated in this operation were, were killed or even, I think, injured beyond at least maybe superficial injuries. And that's that's a pretty extraordinary thing, given the complexity of these operations and the danger. Um, I heard, I think, that the, uh, it was the combatant commander of Central Command, so the person who had been overall charge of this, um, yesterday at a press conference um, at the Pentagon, he he was talking about this, and and he he acknowledged how how extraordinary it was. But he also definitely tipped his hat to the training that our people do. Um, and one of the things he said that was that you never know when you go into those situations whether the whole structure, the house, the compound that Baghdadi lived was living in was was wired with explosives, something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And sort of booby trapped in a massive way. And if that's the case, um, you know, you could have you could have you know, many, many American casualties. Um, so they take all that into consideration, but a human source, an agent would have been able to, to give them a pretty good advanced knowledge of, you know, how many people are in there? Um, what are they, what are the arms that they have? What weapons do they have? Um, are there escape routes, for example, kind of a whole range of things. It's always important to know as well, too, um, what, you know, collateral damage there might be. And that's kind of a military term for, non-combatants like, um, for example, uh, women that were part of his entourage or children, um, because you want to minimize those casualty casualties to the extent that you can. But tremendously complex operation. And, and I really I really applaud what, what our American team did this. And it was, I think, maybe apart from, from if, in fact, and I say if they had, you know, a, a human, human intelligence, human um, um, agent who is, who is, giving them some pretty good guidance on this. But apart from that, on the operational side, it was a totally American operation. It's hard to believe we went to grade school together. We did. Yeah, <laughs> we hard did. to believe. Yeah. We Mike Curley Mike is my guest, uh, retired after 25 years in the CIA and now president of Team 3I, a national security and international business strategy company. We're going to take a little break and we'll be right back with Mike.
Michael Hurley is my guest. He's the president of Team 3i. And he's a former CIA uh, agent for 25 years. We're chatting about the most recent uh, uh, death of the ISIS leader Baghdadi. And I'm, I'm glad he's gone. Um, you know, I think justice has been served. I know it's uh, never nice to celebrate the death of somebody, but he was a bad guy. Mike, isn't the initiative of the military to always be pursuing targets like Baghdadi? Isn't that, isn't that what they're doing all the time, regardless of who is in the White House? 24-7, um, there are entire units in, in all of our major a- agencies that are constantly tracking these. They're called, they used to be called high-value targets, um, and, and they're stopping up, um, you know, information um, from every single direction. And they're using powerful um, data analytics software, for example, that, that, that is able to find connections. Um, what, what, what tends to happen, um, and that's kind of the standard operating procedure was, and I'm sure there's variations on it now, was so you, um, you, you capture uh, a, a terrorist or su- suspected terrorist. And the first thing that you do is you go through, you get their communications, you get their mobile phones, you get hard drives from their computers. And each of those things contains, um, you know, in their memories, other numbers that they've been calling, for example, other texting, other emails. And so those are all clues to, you know, what network they may be part of. And so the, I think some of the techniques that were, um, that were really kind of refined in Iraq was, to move very quickly um, once you captured somebody to, to then find out who's in the network by, by virtue of getting into their mobile phones, see who they've been talking to or texting with or so on, and then go out and get those people right away before they even know that their comrade had already had, had been taken into custody. So um, we've gotten, I think, pretty good at that. Um, you know, you don't want to get too talky about it because um, the terrorists keep, you know, changing as well and and coming up with new techniques. But but we're pretty good at that. Um, and we we certainly devote. I mean, getting back to your question, um, this is a this is a an effort that that never sleeps. It, it's it's just going on constantly. When you think about all the agencies in our intelligence community and then our military services and then add to that our allied services and allied intelligence agencies. It's a pretty impressive capability that we have, Bill, that's, that's, that's protecting us at all times. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very impressive. Uh, Mike, it's just so fun talking to you. You're, um, you're giving me such a nice understanding of all that went on and, and what uh, the U S is military is doing to um, combat terrorism and, and take on the enemy, so to speak. Yeah, you know, and it's it's going to be an ongoing job. You know, people people make predictions all the time about you know are we are we safer now than we were before the 9/11 attacks, for example, and are we doing the right things? And you know, meantime, Bill, we have these other massive problems as well. Counter terrorism is a big threat, but there's threats posed by these sort of other you know obviously major countries mm-hmm. um, that like Iran and. And, and North Korea, um, you know, China is 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 a rival in, in many ways. And um, and I think a lot of the strategies from, from what I've read recently, the Pentagon, um, I think in terms of its war planning, it, it, it's China. That's that's our big potential potential foe in the future. Yeah. Um, and, and that's going to extend this time. You know, if we get into a real conflict, that's going to extend extend to space technology and telecommunications and things like that, because 
we're so dependent now on on um, you know, GPS and, and mobile communications and things. All that involves satellites, and so both sides are developing strategies for taking out the opposition satellites, basically. And um, you know, it's, it's it's almost like a sci-fi world in many respects. But I, I do think that the 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 threat of terrorism is going to continue. And, and, and I think it's, I want your, your listeners to, to know, Bill, that um, I'm still kind of working closely with the co-chairs of the nine 11 commission who, who still have, um, you know, I think a great deal of influence because they're bipartisan and they're um, and they're very sensible and they always make kind of constructive, um, I think, suggestions to the government. Um, and there it's, former Governor Tom Kane of New Jersey and former uh, Representative uh, Lee Hamilton of Indiana, um, who are um, who were both sort of Kane was a moderate Republican and and Hamilton, a moderate Democrat. Um, and they're getting fairly elderly. But I'll tell you, they haven't lost a step and they haven't lost any of the energy or or, or zeal for protecting the country. And they're continuing to dive into these issues and um, and 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 trying to ensure that the reforms the government has made post 9-11 to keep us safe um, are in fact working. And, um, and, you know, it's, I just think it's important for people to know that, that, that um, we have, we're living in a time of great political division, but, but we have, you know, a, a wonderful military and just, I mean, unprecedented military capabilities and a strong intelligence community and our, relations with our allies, all these things are the building blocks that, that are, are keeping us safe and safe and hopefully, you know, keeping us from another 9-11 style attack or something worse. Yeah. Well, thank you, my brother from another mother. It's been always, always uh, nice to chat with you. Well, it's great speaking with you, Bill. I think the last time I was, I think I was in studio, this was, um, I don't know, a few years ago, I guess. Yeah, so I think it has been. We need to do it more often. I couldn't agree more. Michael Hurley has been my guest, president of Team 3i. We'll take a short break and we'll be back with lots more. Sunday afternoons at 2.30 on Faith Radio. Michael Hurley. Welcome back to the show. I'm absolutely thrilled to have uh, Jonathan Kahn as my guest. Uh, His new book, The Oracle, after just a couple of days, uh, has soared on the New York Times bestsellers list. 
He is uh, quite a prophetic voice in this generation, and uh, awfully excited to have him on the show. Jonathan, welcome. Great to be with you, Bill. Yeah. You know, I uh, heard and discovered that you were leading people to Christ before you were even convinced yourself. <laughs> that, that is a paradox, isn't it? It kind um, of is, but I'd love for you to tell our listeners about yeah, that. Yeah, well, well I was, when I was eight years old, I became an atheist. Um, <laughs> you know, I was, in, I was in Hebrew school, and uh-huh. I just didn't see the God of the Bible in, in the synagogue, you know. And, um, and so, but then I realized there had to be more, that, you know, there, there can't, the atheism doesn't work. There's got to be a reason. So I started seeking everything I could, and I start, one day I picked up a book by accident. I thought it was a UFO book, but it was The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And this is about <laughs> biblical prophecy coming true in our generation. And mm-hmm. I, I, I had no idea about this, and that just blew me away, and I couldn't argue it. So I'm telling all my friends about it, and I'm preaching to them. And tell them I'm not saved. I'm not born again, but I'm telling all my friends about it, and I'm winning them to the Lord. <laughs> so That's just that, wild. That went, that went on for a while. That's <laughs> wild. And you tried to follow in the footsteps of, of Moses, didn't you, to go up on a mountain to try to go meet God? Yeah, well, I didn't know, you know, yeah, what happened was I, I, I made a deal with God because I, I believed in my head, but I didn't want to follow him. So I said, all right, Lord, if you give me a long life, I'll accept you when I'm on my deathbed. <laughs> so uh-huh. so right, right after I prayed that, I was almost killed twice. And the wow. second time, I'm in a Fort Pinto to a, heading to a train track at night. And long story short, um, I got hit by a train. And and the car, I'm in a Fort Pinto, it goes up like aluminum foil. I know. And, the only only thing I do is call out to God. So I called out to God, and the car was destroyed, and I didn't get a scratch. So I said, "Lord, can we renegotiate?" And so so I made a new deal, and that is that I said, "Okay, Lord, I'll accept you. I'll follow you when I turn 20." And said, "Don't just don't kill me until then." <laughs> so on my 20th birthday, like a man who whose you know contract had run out, I didn't know how to get saved. I mean, I but I but I was reading the Bible and I was listening to Christian radio. I remember from Hebrew school that God met Moses on a mountain and Elijah on a mountain. So I found a mountain, you know, in the middle of the night, and I went to the top of it, kneeled down, and gave my life to the Lord. Oh, that's just so beautiful. I love that yeah. story. That's yeah. so great. You know, I've been a, a believer myself for decades and decades and decades, and. Every once in a while, you hear little tidbits, and I, I heard when you were teaching on uh, television, you were talking about Moses approaching the burning bush and walking away, saying, "You know, who, who should I tell them sent me?" And you, and God said, "Tell them I am." And and then you made that beautiful correlation between every time you go to introduce yourself, "I am Jonathan Kahn," yes. that you're always presenting God prior to yourself. I was one of those aha moments where I went, "Oh, is that good?" <laughs> Yeah, God, God, good? God is amazing with that. Yes, I, I mean, I, I, I love it too. I, mean, I just love being blown away by that. You know, I, by the Lord. It, it's. I think that's early on, actually, in the Book of Mysteries. I think that's one. I put it as one of the first ones because it's, it's it. I mean, you cannot talk about yourself really without talking about God first, and because we exist by Him, no matter who you are. An atheist has to say His name, you know, and we have to put Him first, and we have to live from Him. You know, we're saying it all the time. We have to live it. Yeah. So could an ancient prophecy in the middle of the desert, like 3,000 years ago, be orchestrating and determining the events of our day? Now, you address that in your book, The Oracle. Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think that some of the most famous people right now um, in history and in current events yeah. could be linked to this mystery. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. This is the Oracle's got to be the largest mystery I've ever written about or on, or opened up, and it is so big that it really really is the mystery or the secret behind what has been the past, what is happening right now, current events. 
even the president, um, what is yet to come. It's really the blueprint of the end times. Um, but not only that, it's not just a big a prophetic thing, a historic thing. It's like behind everything. I mean, from, from Moses to Mark Twain, from Jeremiah to Donald Trump, but it's also the, the master blueprint of our lives, you know, and each of our lives. So, I mean, it, it is the really, it's really linked to salvation. It's to eternity. The, the oracle, to, to give an idea of this, and it's not just like, it's not some vague kind of thing. It's specific. I mean, it gives specific dates, times, uh, exact times when things have to happen or had to have happened because of the Bible. Um, and it's showing, you know, we live in a culture that's trying to push God out and saying, you know, well, yeah, we're past that. And, you know, God, that that's stories and all that. Well, well the oracle is saying, no, the, the God of the Bible is, is alive and well. And in the same way that he moved uh, empires and kings, and every he's doing it today behind everything from the rise of America, the world wars, the rise and fall of empires, Israel, of course, um, and and even American elections. I mean, but everything. So, so to get an idea, just to, to kind of set the stage, imagine if there were scrolls across the world, and and it, it's appointed that the people will open the scrolls at set days, and when they open it, they'll read a set, appointed scripture. And when they read or recite the scripture, those events are going to start happening in the world. Now, this is not, this is not, sounds great fantasy, but it's real. And what if we could know what those scriptures, appointed scriptures were? Well, that's one of the mysteries that runs through the oracle. Another one is the, that of the Jubilee, and that is simply, you know, it's the year of restoration and all that. Well, what is if all these gigantic events, like the rebirth of Israel, or the or the you know, coming back to Israel, the restoration of the Jewish people, and all these prophetic events in our time are timed to the mystery of the Jubilee. Well, they are, and that's one of the other streams through the Oracle. And the last thing to know, just before, I know we'll get into specifics, but the last thing is that, like the Harbinger, the Oracle is, is written, everything in it is, is real. It's fact. You can mm-hmm. Google it. It's real. But it's revealed through a narrative. So there's a man called an Oracle who, you know, in the, in the desert, on a mountain who is opening up these mysteries through these seven doors of and when you open up these seven doors there's there's like about maybe eight mister major revelations in it but we'll probably open, be able to open up some of the doors and get to maybe one or two of them but just that would that should set the stage of what's in the oracle yeah fantastic let's uh maybe just take a look uh, through the first door which would be the stranger yeah well Moses, before he dies, he gives a word to Israel, he prophesies. He's the first one to prophesy about the end times. And he's the one, he says that in the last days, it says the, the Jewish people will be scattered to the ends of the earth, and of course they were, and he says that in the last days, God's going to bring them back to the land. And the, the, but before he, and he did, but before he does that, Moses says, a foreigner, a stranger is going to come from far away, he's going to come to the land, which is going to be a desolate wasteland desert, um, barren, and the stranger is going to bear witness of the desolation and, how, and its hopelessness, and then right after that, is going to come, that's when comes the prophecy, God's going to bring back the Jewish people. Did this sign ever happen? Well, it did. Man mm-hmm. comes from across the world, comes to the to the, the land of Israel at its most desolate state, bears witness of the desolation, actually writes a book about it, and the man's name is Mark Twain. Mark Twain actually fulfilled biblical prophecy. You know, Moses said that he'll say certain words. Well, Mark Twain says the exact words that Moses said he would say. And on, on the last day, right, right after he comes, this is the year 1867. This is going to be the beginning year of the mystery. Really, in many ways, the end times as we know it is set in motion while all these kind of mysterious things start happening in the land after the stranger comes. And it's going to be preparing the land for the return of the Jewish people. And then right after it, the Jewish people are going to begin to return. But on the 
the last day that Mark Twain was in the land, or, or actually his last full day and night in Jerusalem, it's the peak of his journey, he's wandering the streets of Israel, he hear, and he, he hears the, the chanting, it's the Sabbath, they open up the scrolls on the Sabbath, and there's an appointed word. What is the appointed word for that day that they're chanting? The word is the prophecy, the stranger shall come to the land and bear witness. So here he is walking, has no idea, and, and you know, for 2,000 years, the Jewish people have been praying, Lord, hear our prayers, you know, um, be merciful to us and bring us back to the land. Hear our prayer, be merciful, bring us back. Well, Mark Twain, his name wasn't Mark Twain, it was Samuel Clemens. Samuel's Hebrew. It means the Lord has heard, and Clemens means and has been merciful. Wow. Okay, Jonathan, you're like 37 times smarter than me, so I'm having a hard time even asking good questions right now. That is so fascinating. But that's like a piece of hard candy. You got to put that in your mouth slowly and let yes. it dissolve. Oh, there's so much. Yeah, yes. there is so much. So uh, maybe would you take us uh, through the second door, the, the Jubilee yeah. event? Yeah, yeah. And and again, we'll just be able to touch on these things. But sure. yeah, what happens if you count 50 years from that first that first that year that key year? 1867. Well, Jubilee. Well, what's the next year? It's going to be. Ni- it's going to take us to 1917. And did anything happen? Gigantic things happen. It is prophetic. The world war happens. The Ottoman Empire that has the land of Israel begins to crumble in the year of Jubilee. And that same year, God raises up people uh, to uh, Arthur Balfour to be in the British Empire, who issues the Balfour Declaration, which says the land of Israel shall return to the Jewish people. Now, what has happened to the Jubilee? It says the land shall return to the people. Mm-hmm. And in that same year, same year, Allenby, another Christian, General Allenby is a Christian, he enters the land, and he, he enters Jerusalem, and he liberates it for the Jewish people. And an amazing thing, I'll tell you one, there's so many mysteries, this is the second door in the in the, the oracle, but I'll just mention one mystery of it. That is that there's a number in Daniel that indicates it, it's given for the time that the, the occupier of the land has to leave. It, it's up to this time, and the number is 1335, and there's, there's several... Uh, fulfillments and linked to days, but the number 1335 is linked to when the occupier has to leave. Well, all of a sudden, in the year 1917, this jubilee year, the number 1335 starts appearing throughout the land, starts coming, up, starts appearing on coins, starts appearing everywhere, Israel, Egypt, or the Middle East. Why? It turns out on the Muslim calendar, that year is the is the year 1335, the number in Daniel that the that the occupier has to leave. They have, that's the year that they leave, and it's also all converges on the jubilee. I mean, who can put this all together? Wow, wow! It just makes me want to stand up and cheer. <laughs> and I, as a Jewish person, you want to stand up and cheer even louder, don't you? Absolutely, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Always good good idea to cheer God. Oh, I agree, I agree. Okay, what is the uh, the the number of the end? Well, that's what that's what a, that's the thirteen thirty five. Okay, okay. I just want to make sure I understood yeah, that yeah, thing correctly. You got it. <laughs> you got yeah. it. Yeah. And they'll tell you about another thing that happened, and this is going to link to the third door. And I'm going very quick because we can just touch on it. But the third door. Um, he, here's the thing. There's a guy named Theodore Herzl. So some people have heard of him. Some have not. He's the father of Israel. I mean, in, he's the visionary who saw Israel years before it ever happened. Um, and the thing is, a Jewish man. He gathers a world congress together of Zion, of the first Zionist congress. Now, he's the father of Zionism. simply means Zion, that the Jewish people to return to Zion. But when he does, he writes down a prophecy. He says, today, he says, he says I founded the Jewish state. He says, now, the whole world would laugh at me if I said it out loud. But he says, the whole world is going to know it in 50 years' time. That's Jubilee. Okay, mm-hmm. so when did he say it? 
He said it in 1897. He actually wrote it down. So that takes you, what's the 50th year? 1947, the year that Israel is voted back into wow. the world, and the whole world knows it. Not only that, but, but Bill, I'm led to go deeper, and I look at the date, that he, you know, the UN resolution that voted Israel, it's got a date on it, the, the, the plan. It, the date is September 3rd, uh, 1947. Well, well, when you go back 50 years, it takes you to September 3rd, 1897. That's the exact date that Herzl penned the prophecy. It was fulfilled 50 years to the exact day. Wow. Do you even sleep anymore, or do you just stay awake no. all the time? No, that's it. <laughs> that's it. I've been, I've been blown away for about a year and a half with this. And before I wrote, and I had about, about 3,000 pages of like, whoa, Lord, whoa, Lord, whoa. And the challenge was, how do you get 3,000 pages into a book that's less than 300 pages? So, but, I, but that's the oracle. Yeah, yeah. Let me take a little break. Jonathan Kahn is my guest. The book we're chatting about is already a New York Times bestseller, The Oracle, The Jubilee and Mysteries Unveiled. Take a short break and be right back with Jonathan. Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to be having uh, a discussion with Jonathan Kahn about his new book called The Oracle. It's already soared to the New York Times bestseller list. That happened quickly. And uh, just fascinating conversation. If you missed any of this, uh, hit rewind and start over from scratch and get it from the beginning. When Israel was born, the, the, when it's announced, it was a lot of people in prophecy know it. May fourteenth, nineteen forty-eight. You know, they announced yes. Israel's going to be born. It turns out it's a Sabbath Friday, and so what happens is that means there's an appointed word. So there's a word that's appointed from ages past to be read, the scrolls to be opened among the Jewish people, and read on that day, May 14, 1948, from ages past. What's the word that's appointed? The word is the prophecy God says, in that day, I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David. I will end the exile of my people. I will bring them back to the land. I will restore the nation as in ancient times. They will rebuild the ancient cities, the fallen cities. They'll replant the land, and nobody will take them out of the land. It's the prophecy of the resurrection of Israel. And, it, and so all around the world, there's chanting the prophecy of the resurrection of Israel as Israel is being resurrected from the dead on the exact day. Now, I'll tell you one more thing linked to this third door that we're okay. talking about. There's seven doors in the oracle for those who know. So, and that is this. Well, the first time that God ever told Israel, the Jewish people, you shall return. You shall return to your ancestral land is actually in the law of the Jubilee. And in, you know, in, in Israel, when they write down dates, the way you do it in Hebrew is you write down, use Hebrew letters. Every Hebrew letter has a, has a number value. That's not something mystical. That's the way they do it. Well, the, the, when God said, you shall return, it's one Hebrew word in that thing. It's tashavu. That adds up. The numbers add up to the year 1948, the year that Israel returned into the world. That was there for 3,000 years wow. from Moses. You know, wow. unbelievable. But, but now, now let me get, I'll get to about the next door. If you take the um, and okay, and again, we're only scr scratching the surface of the door now. Yeah. But if you but if you take the first, we said 1867. Now count first jubilee year. You count 50 years, 1917. Count when's the next jubilee year? 
It takes you to 1967. Anything happened then? Well, listen, Jesus said he's not returning until the Jewish people come back to Jerusalem. I mean, they'll say, Baruch Abba, blessed is he. They got to do it. He said it in Jerusalem. Well, the thing about this is 1967 is a jubilee year. And what happens is, that, you know, Israel doesn't ask for this, but it happens. The, the Six-Day War happens. And it's actually begun by the Soviet Union. So the godless Soviet Union is going to fulfill biblical prophecy. And by the end of that war... Israeli soldiers are entering the gates of Jerusalem. What does the Jubilee say? It says everyone shall return to their ancestral possessions. So after 2,000 years, the Israeli soldiers enter the gates, they get to the Western Wall, they cry, they pray, and, and they return, okay, in the year of Jubilee. But there's, some, there's a prophecy, Bill, that, that says that in, in Isaiah, it says, God, in that day, God will fight for Jerusalem like the lion, like a lion and the young lion. He'll, fi- he'll fight for that hill, he'll fight for that mountain, that's the Temple Mount, like a lion and a young lion. Well, the amazing thing is this. How did Israel get Jerusalem? They sent a colonel to circle the hills of, around Jerusalem. His name is Colonel Ari. In Hebrew, Ari means the lion. Colonel Lion, okay? So it says Galifai. The guy who's in charge of the war over Jerusalem is a guy named Arik Regev. His name means the lion. Hmm. He gives the word to take Jerusalem to another guy who's outside the gates, an intelligence officer named Arik Achman. His name means the lion. He finally sends words to the, to the Mount of Olives where there are paratroopers waiting with their commander, a guy named Mata Gor, and he says, okay, guys, it's time. He, they, he leads them into Jerusalem. His name, he's a different name, Mata Gor, and Bagor means the young lion. So here, the first two people in the gates in, in the Six-Day War, the first in Jerusalem are, are this guy, Mata Gor and Ark Achman, and, and they get to the Temple Mount. Well, their names in Hebrew mean the lion and the young lion. The prophecy of Isaiah says God will fight for that mountain as the lion and the young lion. And what, <laughs> what I mean, amazing. I mean, and listen, think about this, Bill. Every one of them had to be born with the name lion I right. mean, for, for that day, you know. And they, what gate did they go through to... The Lion's Gate. So what's it all about? You know, the Messiah came 2,000 years ago as a lamb through the gate. He's coming again as a lion. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me throw you one more from the – from the this is the fourth door, and again, there's okay. so many, but this yeah. is one. Okay, when the Jubilee comes, and, it, and, it, and the, the one we just said is the Day of the Lions in the book, but this one is called the Jubilee in Man. And the thing is that when the Jubilee comes, what happens? It says you'll sound the horn. You'll sound the horn. Well, did the horn ever sound? Did, did the trumpet sound on the Jubilee? Well, when the, when, the, when the soldiers go through the gates and when they get to the Temple Mount, they hear a sound. It's the sound of the trumpet. It's the sound of Jubilee. And why? It's because a guy sounding this shofar, and it's not he's, he's not trying to fulfill this. He's not reading the oracle. And he's not trying to fulfill the Jubilee. He's just doing it for another reason. He sounds at the exact moment. The trumpet sounds. But the, the Jubilee says that the land will return to its original state. What was the Temple Mount originally? It was a threshing floor that David bought. Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, the word for threshing floor is the word goren. The guy who sounds the trumpet on the threshing floor on the Temple Mount is named Rabbi Goren or Rabbi <laughs> Threshing Floor, and he's born with that name. Now think about that, and and he's born in the year 1917, the other Jubilee. So now he's 50 years old, sounding the sound of the Jubilee. It's his Jubilee, and the name Goren has one other meaning. It means the horn. So here is Rabbi Horn sounding the horn on the threshing floor. The, the, a child was born in the year of Jubilee 1917, and it, think about it. His name is Horn. Threshing floor, it's going to be fulfilled when he gets to the threshing floor, sounds the horn in the year of Jubilee.
Unbelievable. I normally don't have to take naps after interviews. <laughs> but Jonathan, I'm gonna, I'm I'm just exhausted already. So There's let, so much. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk. We, and this goes to where we are now. Okay, I mean I want to get there. So yes. where do you want to go from here? Because okay. I don't well, yeah, well, what happens is that, you know, when, when you go back in the Jubilee, it's not as you go back to your land. You, you get the right. You're recon, it's recognized. You get the legal right, you know. But, well, when Israel came back to Jerusalem, they never did get that. The whole world refused to recognize it. You know, uh, the United Nations never did. And that, but that was broken when, when President Trump, from the White House, issued the Jerusalem Declaration, for recognizing Jerusalem, first time in any president, first time in American history, first time in modern history. Actually, it's the first time since ancient times that there's any leader who ever did this. You got to go back to the days of Cyrus, really. And and the thing was with the thing is, you know, the declaration that Trump issued actually follows the pattern of Cyrus's declaration. But so so when did it happen? Well, well, what happens if you count for the next jubilee? 1967 add 50 years takes you to the year 2017. That is exactly when the Jerusalem Declaration is issued. The legal right is issued, and and Trump. I'm sure that Donald Trump is not studying the original Hebrew of Leviticus, no. yet, yet he fulfilled it in the year. But listen to this. You know, I said that when the Jubilee comes, you know, it says the trumpet sounds. You got to have, you got to have the, you know, the horn and the, all that. Well, well, what, what does our president's name mean in English? It means the trumpet. So think about it. The trumpet. Trump means it. Think about that. When does he come to power? In the year of Jubilee. If you have a year of Jubilee, you got to have a trumpet. So, so the Trump, Trump, 2017, the Trump is lifted up in the year of Jubilee. So he becomes president, and he starts sounding. This it shall sound throughout the land. Well, he hasn't stopped sounding since. He, even he tweets sometimes. But, but the thing is that he sounds throughout the land, and it says when the Trump sounds, what happens in the year of Jubilee? The right of return goes to the original owner. That's exactly what happened. And I'll tell you something else here. This is a you know, but if you go if you go back to the day that he was born, Trump was born. It doesn't matter what what you think of Trump. It's God. I mean, that's what matters. Not what the thing is. That he's born. It's a Friday. That means the scrolls are opened. And there's an appointed word. Now, I'm not going to go into it, except that the word that's appointed, that, that I put this in the oracle, but the word that's appointed is it, it's the mystery of his life. It's like his whole life is waiting for that jubilee year. In fact, the guy in the other jubilee, Rabbi Horn, the reason why he had a, a trumpet, a shofar, was because he was reading the, the, the scripture that was appointed for Donald Trump's birth. So you got Rabbi Horn and you got President Trump in each jubilee. <laughs> Again, I mean, this is, the, you know, in the Bible, God chooses people it gives them names for what they're appointed for wow wow so and, John, and, yeah, oh, yeah. go ahead jonathan yeah i need no. an extra thought well, going well just to say to think about the ramifications of this that it means that that donald trump you know had to be born when he was had to be had to become that there had to be an american election just before the year 2017 so there was and he had a win because you know it doesn't work so much to say that the hillary will sound Right. <laughs> All right. The um, the mystery of the oracle. How is it going to relate to just everyone who's listening, and then whoever's yes. going to step yes. out and get your book? Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, yeah. Now we, we the door we just were in is is behind the fifth door, and there's so much of that's where what's happening now. The mystery behind that. But when you go to the sixth door, it talks about what's going to happen or the future. And so the oracle is it, the mystery is is about the end 
time is really the key. It's also about the about each of our lives. And let me ask you something, Bill, before I do this. About how much time do we have just left? To... Oh, just about three minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you this. It's the secret of the end times of what's happening in the news every single day, um, What's from Israel to America to the culture to the culture war. Every single thing is part of this mystery, and it's ultimately leading up to one more jubilee or one more return. And think about it. All these returns, that means somebody else is returning. The ultimate jubilee is when the king comes back to his ancestral possession, which is the kingdom. And that's when Messiah's feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. That's the ultimate jubilee. And, and it even leads into Revelation and eternity. But here's the thing. This is all about your life. When you get to the seventh door, it's the mystery of everyone who's listening right now. Your whole life is linked to the jubilee because we have all fallen and we've all lost something. We've all lost paradise and we've all lost the life that God called us to. And yet what is salvation? It's coming home. It's returning. It's restoration. It's that Jesus is the jubilee. So when it gets to the end, it talks about what is the destiny for your life? And because God has called you, everybody listening, for restoration, to, 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 to become, and it gets into how to become, how to find the life that God has called you to find and to live and to become that person and apply all this, the reality of God, to your life to overcome, for breakthrough, and to live a life of victory. Because, listen, this is telling you something. The oracle is saying God is real. God is alive. God is true. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. The word of God is true. And the same God who brings victory to his people is going to bring victory to you as you walk in his will. Jonathan, I made a big mistake booking you for a half hour. I should have booked you for a half day. <laughs> easy. <Yeah>. easy. <laughs> I, I've done, Bill, I've done, I've, I've done six hours, this, and we didn't even touch the half of it in, on Denver Joe, so absolutely, but thank you. Yeah. Um, is, is it okay, Bill, if I tell people how, can, how they can get it? Oh, please. Yeah, well, well, just this here. We just touched the surface, but the Oracle is everywhere. So if you, wherever there are books, it's there. If you go online, Amazon and online, you can get it right now. Or wherever books are from Walmart to anywhere else, you can get it. But I'm praying also people don't just get it for themselves. Um, people are being blown away. I'm blessed. But get it for your friends also who are not believers because it's the, who don't know the reality of God because it's an explosion of the reality of God and people are getting saved. So that's my prayer. Wow, that's awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much. You've been an absolute delight. My blessing. Yep. Thank you, Bill. Have a great day. My guest has been Jonathan Kahn. His book, The Oracle, The Jubilee and Mysteries Unveiled. That wraps up our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you uh, for supporting Faith Radio. I hope you have a great weekend as you lay your head on the pillow tonight. Just know that God's working on his great... Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.